Hey everybody, welcome to Becoming Ultra. Uh, for you guys who are listening on Athlete on Fire, welcome to the show as well. Uh, some of these, some of these uh, interviews that I do that have ultra runners on, I post on both of the podcasts, and uh, there's some good cross pollination there. If you guys are running primarily, listening to this Becoming Ultra show, and you want some some other stuff, go to Athlete on Fire. I interview all kinds of different athletes, and it's, sometimes it's good to listen to those adventures and training concepts and stuff. Uh, so yeah, head over there and check out some of the other stuff we're doing. This is Ian Sharman today. I've known Ian for, man, almost 10 years. Uh, we collaborated on some stuff in the beginning of the Becoming Ultra Project. He was one of my first interviews on the Athlete, Athlete on Fire show, and we've kept in touch and partnered with Sharman Ultra, which is his company, and Becoming Ultra over the years. And it's been a great partnership. We've always had a, at least one or two coaches from Sharman Ultra on the Becoming Ultra Project and part of part of the whole deal. So we talk a little bit more about the business of coaching in endurance sports today than we've ever, ever done. We talk a little bit about his origin story and where, how he got educated to, to be able to run and, and do this business. Uh, we talk about one of the questions I asked him was like, if there's anyone out there uh, in the public eye, whether it's an athlete or a famous person, who would you want to go see do a hundred miler? Um, he had a great answer for that. We talk about some some events out there that don't get enough love, so he gives a little love for that. So awesome conversation. Check out his stuff. He's got some awesome coaches over there. Check out our stuff, becomingultraathleteonfire.com. Um, we're just trying to put a lot of inspiring stuff out there. The last episode for Athlete on Fire was awesome. It was a couple ladies from Team Hurricane, H-E-R, like she, her, Hurricane. They are a team that are going to paddle from California to Hawaii next year and it's all the logistics and training and the adventure of it all. It's really cool. So hope you guys enjoy this and uh until next time, appreciate you guys. Alright, we got Ian Sharman here. Uh my little fancy intro has preceded us, of course, as it always does. But yeah, me and Ian, just to give you guys a little his history, Ian is a freaking world-class runner. He runs an awesome coaching business, CharmanUltra.com. You guys can check that out. He's got his hand in a bunch of different things in the in the endurance world and running world for sure. And uh, we met probably seven or eight years ago when I was launching this Becoming Ultra concept. And um, we've just been kind of business partners for years now. Um, it all started with a creative concept and uh, and we've just kind of stuck together over the years with this Becoming Ultra concept with which, um, if you don't know, it has a whole podcast uh, to itself where we take first-time ultra runners and coach them up, and we share the coaching calls with the with the population. So, you know, for people who don't have the resources to hire a coach, they get to listen to real life coaches and real life clients kind of figure this stuff out. So, it's been it's been a really positive experience for me. It's been, I think, probably a pretty positive experience for Charmin Ultra and the coaches that you guys have over there. Um, but yeah, me and Ian, we, we, we both can talk for hours at a time about this stuff. And like the handful of times we've hung out in person, it's, we, it's been seamless and we've always gotten along really well. So I thought it'd be cool to bring him on and hang out a little bit and see what's new and Charmin ultra and his life and, uh, talk about the business of coaching a little bit. I think that's always kind of interesting. There's a lot of, a lot of people who want to get into it, who might, you know, maybe we can help out a little bit. Um, I think we both have the the idea of abundance in the world. Like there's enough for, for to go around for everybody. So I don't know, Ian, how you doing, man? That's my quick little update on you. I, I am excellent. I'm, I'm a little sweaty. As I mentioned to you just before we started recording, I've just uh, been clearing some snow. So uh, it's mid-March, but still, uh, hopefully there's not too much more of that. But yeah, I mean, Becoming Ultra is season one. Now we're on season 13. 13. Um, I think pretty much all of my coaching team has been on it for at least one season. 
And uh, it's just a really fun way to help someone go from not being a much a runner. Maybe they've done a little bit, but then moving up to it, their first ultra, which is always cool. But as a coach, everything you're doing, you're always breaking new ground, whether it's the first time they do any ultra, the first time they do a certain distance, the first time they do an international race, all these things. It's just so much fun helping people to do new things and to do more than they thought they could. And I think that was the biggest eye-opening thing for me when I got into it is, oh, wow, like I didn't think I could do this. Now I do. And now I see the next step. And now I can see the logical next bit after that, which is I get there and then I can see the step after that and the step after that. And I think that's one of the most fun things about running, that it's constantly something where you can grow. Yeah, no, I love it. You know, speaking to the coaching side of it, so I haven't had too much backlash on this, but there is a certain confidence for for coaches to get on a live podcast and to share, I'm not even going to say trade secrets because most of the stuff is, is pretty common knowledge, but to share their philosophies and their style of coaching and be willing and, and confident enough to put themselves out there. Is there anything that you can say to that that you think is is a positive for for us and for your co- for Charmin Ultra coaches and just the ability to kind of give back to the community at large? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's great to be able to put advice out there. And to be honest, as given we're talking about the business side of it as well, it's it's marketing. You know, you want to make sure that you can get your message out there and it's much more useful to people. It's much more interesting if it's a discussion or, you know, I often do podcasts where it's on just one topic, for example. That's much more helpful than just me um, putting an advert somewhere or, you know, that doesn't give anyone an idea. And an ad is obviously just purely um, you know, trying to sell things while the podcasts are discussions. And I think the really helpful thing as well, when coaches are on it and people can listen to almost any coach out there being on some podcast at some point, it just means that you can get a chance. OK, what's their style? What's the way they think? And then particularly if there's specific examples, how do they cope with that? And it just gives you a much better idea about whether you think you would get on with them, whether you agree with what they're saying, whether you're being challenged by what they're saying, maybe it's different to what you've done in the past. And that might be a good thing. I mean, you don't want to get stuck in a rut. Yeah, I was thinking about that the the, the, the other day and just like where I don't even think I've had this conversation with you. Um, when, everything that I've talked to you about has just been about the running part and like the performance. When did you decide to like go into the coaching part of this? Like, was was it organic? Did somebody like turn you on to it? Did you have a coach that you really liked and you and they kind of inspired you? Like, how did it start for you? Uh, my origin story. Well, I, yes. I was an economist. I worked in a corporate job through my twenties. I'm now forty two. Um, when I moved to the US, it was uh, just turning thirty at that point. Got married. That's why I came over here. And I was doing a job that I really hated. I was working in the Bay Area, uh, working in annoying economic tax stuff that was just boring as hell and really stressful and bad management and everything. So as soon as I got my green card, uh, it was also about a week after I got a big result getting a, a course record at Rocky Raccoon 100 miler. And so suddenly I had this opportunity to get sponsors. In fact, I, I just got my first main sponsor before that race. That was the first race I did for North Face. Um, and because of that, I was thinking, okay, well, I love running. I want to make sure that I have enough time to do it. And this job is making it very difficult to run or go away to races. So I, I initially thought I will be a sponsored professional runner. Um, then after a yeah, few weeks, and especially a few little inquiries, it's like, oh, yeah, that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> it, you probably could just about do that now. I mean, there's definitely uh, the possibility for the very top runners to have six figures. But even then, that's just for a few years, and it's very cutthroat. You know, you get injured or you have some problems for a year, 
you lose contracts. Um, so I now work with sponsors that I, I've trusted for years, that it's not just about what my latest result is or what my latest social media number of likes is or anything like that. But um, yeah, I was thinking initially, I'm a runner, I want to have time to run. But I'd also been a student of the sport. I'd spent many years at that point trying to learn as much as I could, reading books about it. Um, I'd also actually considered maybe becoming a personal trainer. So I did a, uh, the NASM um, personal training course. Um, decided I didn't really want to be a personal trainer, but it was useful knowledge for help, how to train and how to do strength work and things like that. So I, I then uh, got a couple of people asking me if I'd coach them. So friends who saw my results and thought, hey, maybe he could help me. And so I kind of semi-informally helped them a little bit. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll start this as a business. And it just kind of took off from there, uh, just trying to make it as professional as possible. Um, and then over the, the years after that, I had other coaches, either people who are existing coaches or people who I knew would be good at it, who I brought on. So the first of those was Ellie Greenwood. Uh, I'd known her for a few years, and it was just at the point where the job she was doing for a ski resort happened to end. Uh, and I was out at a race in South Africa, uh, Comrades Ultramarathon with her. Well, not, not with her, but she was out there and I was out there. And um, I just said to her, you know what? I, I have capacity to, to help you be a coach and to, you know, to bring on effectively one of the world's best ultra runners ever. I mean, she was ultra runner of the decade for the last decade. She's won all the big races. She still has the course record at Western States and many other places. And I thought, if I can get someone like that to come on board and help them and teach them what I've learned, then, um, you know, that's just good for her. It's good for me. And uh, now it's expanded and there's, there's eight of us on the coaching team. How, how fast did you, so when you brought Ellie on, were you at capacity for your own coaching? Like, were you starting to feel like, Hey, I needed, I just need help to grow this thing. Yeah. I was turning people away and that always feels like any business that can't satisfy the demand effectively knows that they need to expand in some way, or I, you know, I could have rested on my laurels, I suppose, but it also takes time to respond to people and say, Oh no, I don't have time. Or um, maybe I will in a week or I will in a month, but then they find someone else in that month. There's just all this back and forth that's wasted effort for them and for me. So it just seemed more sensible that there's this perfect opportunity that Ellie needed a job. She's one of the most credible, nicest people out there as well, knows what she's doing, has achieved the top level in road and trail running. And I thought, okay, well, I can learn from her as well as her learning from me. And that was kind of the idea behind it. I'd bring on coaches who we could be better as a team because we'd, we'd enhance our own knowledge. So rather than just being what I know, it can also be what they know and we all learn from each other. So we, we have monthly calls where we do uh, discussions about various topics, including uh, doing a round table uh, and doing a uh, one topic or one case study. And so we just take turns to bring that to it. But it's actually really fun to do that and it keeps us on our toes and it also keeps us, you know, it's like, hey, look at this article or look at this book or this latest study. So it, it helps us to, to keep learning as well rather than just to to say, okay, I know everything and that's it, which is obviously never the case for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like we're always learning from our clients. We're always learning from other coaches if you're doing it right. And it's a big, it's a big reason why Becoming Ultra has been such a, a fun and interesting project is because I get to hop on with, with coaches doing the same thing and from different backgrounds and different philosophies. And I mean, we're all learning from our clients every freaking day. So that, that part's really cool. So, okay. So the day that you brought Ellie on, what, what year was that compared to where we're at now? Uh, that's probably about 2016, 20, well, maybe about 2015 about then. So it's, it's been a while, like almost a yeah. decade. Yeah. So you're, what you're bringing on a coach like about every year or so, it seems like. 
Um, it just depends. I mean, there's a while when we didn't have anyone new. I mean, I wasn't thinking, oh, well, now I'll just get as many coaches as I can. <laughs> it was more Ellie came on board and she just happened to need a job at that point. And then about a year later, Liza Howard uh, was out at uh, Leadville, a uh, race she'd won and I'd won. And um, we both won it that year, in fact. But she, she came up to me in advance of the race and said, hey, I like what you're doing with Ellie. I'm already coaching, but I just don't really want to do all the admin and the business side. Could I work for you? And so she came on board and that just opened my eyes to maybe uh, looking for other opportunities, especially when we get to, to turning people away. Interesting. So would you say like the way that you run Charmin, do you feel like you're a, a manager? Do you feel like you're just kind of a facilitate? Like what, how would you consider your role in your own business here? Yeah, d definitely a manager because I have to determine everything. Like I, I filter whenever anyone comes to me and, asks that they want coaching they usually specify a coach but not always but everything kind of comes through me and i'm doing all, all the admin and, and all that kind of thing but it's also just trying to make sure that we're all staying on board uh for, for doing the things we need to do so whether that's like q a's getting on podcasts so just in the last couple of months uh, i got almost all of them on trail runner nation podcast um just for various coaching topics uh, and so that's always helpful for both them to then get their names out there and for my business to have people there. So it's just really mutual benefit. I mean, that, that's the kind of idea behind it, but with me managing the whole thing. And, and so the, the business stuff is definitely all me, but it's also trying to encourage them to think, okay, what will benefit themselves and also the other coaches so that we can hopefully all gain from each other and, and get kind of increasing returns to anything that any one of us does. Yeah. Now I'm just sitting here thinking about how different both uh, our style, styles are. Like I, I've created content and I've been coaching for 20 years and got into the endurance sport probably 14 years ago when I got to Colorado and um, kind of happened organically. And, you know, if you, if you have the knowledge base and you, then you can be a good coach. I'll never be a world-class runner like all the Charmin ultra coaches are. Um, so, but I also know, and I've always, I, I've kind of just hypothesized on some of your strategy is the earned media because you don't do a i mean you do a newsletter and you do a lot of good social media stuff but you don't you don't have your own podcast right no i did for a while i did it for podium runner magazine which is now yeah. uh just, well it was part of outside but now it's even more formally outside they got rid of the name of that magazine so i hosted that for a couple of years um i actually started the talk ultra podcast with ian corliss back in 2012 he he i did that for six months before that was just a huge amount of work and it was very much his baby so i kind of left it to him but i it's more just you know you, you look for opportunities and you see which things work for you as a coach as a runner which things you enjoy uh you know this is advice to any person in any business or any job to be honest but uh i i found that there's certain things i enjoyed more um and i don't tend to do you know, paid advertising, like I said, I, it's, I'd rather do uh, like writing magazine articles. So I've written stuff for Trail Runner magazine. I've been a columnist since 2013 at Ultra Running magazine. Um, and it's just more just you get to know people. I mean, I always hate the, the concept of networking. I hated that in the corporate world. I'm like, oh, you have to get to know people. And there's just something in it for both sides. In running, it's just so much nicer. It's like, oh, here's someone who just happens to be a brand manager or uh, they have a podcast or whatever but they're just all nice people and you do things much more organically. And so whenever I've made contacts and I know, you know a good chunk of people in the industry now, it's just because it happened to be a nice thing to do, not, oh, there's a sponsor I'd like to have. I should go and shuffle up to that person and start talking to them. Um, and because of that, it just leads to opportunities, whether it is being on a podcast, uh, writing for a magazine. I mean, the, the reason I started at Ultra Running Magazine was 
I was crewing for, um, I'm trying to think who it was now. The first time I ever crewed at Badwater anyway. And one of the other people happened to own Ultra Running Magazine, um, oh, cool. Carl. Uh, so he, and, uh, he, he doesn't uh, do the, uh, the editorial stuff anymore, but he did at that point. And he said, hey, it'd be great if you could write some stuff for us. And this is just while we're in the middle of Death Valley, boiling heat uh you know thinking about the runner who's just coming up and uh I, I thought yeah why not you know that sounds fun but it's just it's much more pleasant in that kind of environment to do things because you find it interesting and because you meet nice people versus oh yes i should totally try and meet that person to try and get that opportunity so this this kind of happens in the in the running world it happens in all coach in in all facets of coaching and in, in all sports but we'll speak to running because that's where we're at but people will go and, you know, go, go get a certification online. And like, it's, it's all in theater. It's all theoretical stuff. It's all informational. Um, the, the coaching as a practice isn't really there. It's more programming based and nothing wrong with it. It's a great education for a lot of people, but you see people that go get that education. They get their cert certificate or certification or whatever it might be. And they decide I'm a coach now. And you know, like, you know, you'll see like the posts, Hey everybody, I'm a coach now, you know, you business is open, you know, whatever, whatever they say, you know? Um, and for sometimes it's cringeworthy because you're like, man, it's, there's just so much more to it than just going to get that cert. Where, where do you think, you know, if we were to, if me, you know, we're both in our forties. We're not like 22 year old, just figuring this stuff out stuff. You know, if we, if we were going to like mentor some young coaches that are in that world, uh, where, where do you think people are messing up when they want to start a coaching business? What, what, where are some of the biggest errors that you see people make? Like we can talk about, like none of this is to meant, meant to put people down because everybody's got to figure stuff out on their own. And me and you, I'm sure have made plenty of mistakes in our business careers, but I would just be curious, like if we're just going to throw that out and brainstorm, like where are some places that you think are. People no, are no really good question. I think, one of them is they maybe do it too early in their career. So they they have some theoretical stuff, but it's maybe more related to just the pure science of shorter distance stuff up to the marathon. And then there's all these other things that aren't in any courses about nutrition and, and other things. like. And yes, you can get a PhD in nutrition. But that's not the same as knowing just that there's so much variety and there's no one size fits all. And what might, you know, keto might work for one person and then be the worst thing in the world for another. Um, but knowing the principles behind is important. But some of those principles are actually quite simple. Um, and the idea of trial and error is being a, is a big part of it. So I think that the biggest mistake or the biggest learning curve for anyone uh, coming into coaching is just the idea that there's a huge amount of variety. If you're dealing with a 22-year-old college track athlete versus a 70-year-old new to ultra running wanting to do a 100-miler, there's a huge difference there in terms of the mentality, the physicality. And yes, there's core principles behind it. And you can learn some of those from books, but certainly not all of them um, and studies and other things. And also even just understanding that just because one study says one thing doesn't mean that that is a perfect study. So you want to bias towards are there lots of studies saying the same kind of thing versus here's the latest thing that says a Norwegian runner does this. So now we're all going to do this. And it's clearly the one and only perfect way that there's a lot of ways to success. And there's a lot of different personalities out there who will react differently physically and mentally to the way that you coach them. So that I think is one of the, the most enjoyable parts to it, but understanding the difference between you have to be really individualized because every person is genuinely different. And even just, even if it's the same physical training that would uh, help two different people, maybe the way you explain it or the way you bring them back from something not going right or all these different things. I mean, a lot of it is almost therapy 
again, I don't think you need to be a therapist to do the job, but you need to be very empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just listening to people and, and how their personal life kind of intertwines with their, with their, their athletic stuff is, is huge. Yeah. And I think like coaches that are coming up, you got to have one or two two things if you want to be successful doing online coaching. Like you, you either have to have an audience or have the means to figure out how to get an audience, or you have to have some experience coaching so that you can bring that experience to potential clients. And if you don't have either one of those, you got to find it somewhere, man. And, and maybe it's starting your own podcast. Maybe it's going on some other people's stuff. Maybe it's writing, like you said. Um, but more often than not, it's like, get in front of people, you know, offer your time up to local running groups, teach people how to do stuff in real life. It's going to translate really, really well over. Um, and that's just my experience. Like I didn't have an audience in the ultra running world, but I had an audience from coaching for 12 years before I even got into this world. And, and it translated over really well, but I, I just, I hate the idea of people like putting their heart and soul into something and then just not seeing the needle move at all because they didn't know what to do early on when it's just, you know, like this business is very similar to, to running ultras. You just got to be persistent and, and have staying power. You know, it's just kind of crazy. And the thing is, knowledge alone is not enough. No. You could be the best coach in the world, but that doesn't matter unless you can explain things well enough and get people to even come to you in the first place. And so, yeah, getting yourself out there is a big part of that. I mean, and any company has to have some form of marketing. Um one big part of my business is the fact that my runners, uh, my, my coaches all have won big races and, and continue to do so. In many cases now it's age groups, but uh, with uh, you know the young ones, I've got Annie Hughes, who's only uh, 24, she might be 25 now, I'm not sure, but you know, she, she's the latest to come on. She's on this season of Becoming Ultra. And so with someone like that, I saw the opportunity there was someone who's had massive success already at such a young age, winning loads of 200 mile races, but she'd never coached before. And so I'm teaching her the coaching side of it and she's just easing into it just with a very few number of people with more guidance, uh, with me as a backup there. Um, so it, it's being able to teach the the teaching side of it, basically, not just the knowledge side of it. Is, uh, is Charmin Ultra bigger right now than you thought it would be five years ago or is it where you want it to, where you thought it would be? Like, I'm just kind of curious yeah, what kind bit. of goals you had. Yeah, I mean, well, when I started, I just thought if I can make a living and not have to go back to an office job ever again, then yeah. that will be a success. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's worked much better than I ever thought. So, uh, and and the pandemic, like with the previous recession around two thousand eight, was a running boom. So you, you, initially, you think, oh no, everyone's going to stop coaching because it's a uh, a luxury in comparison. But if there were so many people coming to running, that actually business boomed uh, i think most coaches found this that actually it's, it's it's a very good time to be a coach is whenever the economy is not doing well because as long as you are positioned well if you're new to it and it's day one and no one's heard of you probably not a great time because you're not going to have the credibility but uh, but otherwise no i mean running is a really resilient industry um and it's got a big future ahead of it because more and more people come to it um they're realizing that being unhealthy uh is you know running is one of the easiest sports to get into basically and yeah. then as road running and half marathons in particular marathons get bigger there's a spillover of what you do next ultras yeah what what makes you excited about the about the sport and the growth of it and and, and kind of where everything's going is there is there anything in particular that, that you get excited about i i feel like there's always the same kind of things like it's always getting more money there's always bigger races there's always more competition coming to it and that's certainly been the case in recent years with you know a lot more fast collegiate type track athletes coming over with really fast marathon times that type of thing but both male and female 
But um, to be honest, I think the, the biggest thing that's exciting for me is there's just so many races everywhere. Like when I lived in the UK and I'd done about four years of ultra running, I left in 2009. I think there was 100 mile race in the UK. I don't know how many there are now, but it's quite a few. Uh, and just every year when I look at uh, a website called runhundreds.com and it's got the full list of all the hundred miles in North America, the number of them is just bigger every time I look on that website. And that's just really cool. And, and, and also the nice thing there is that it's not just, oh, UTMB is going to swallow the world and there'll be nothing else. There will be everything from the 20 person ultra up to the mega corporate Ironman type UTMB. So whatever you want to do is going to be there. And if you don't like one bit of it, do the other bit. So I, I think that's a really positive thing for the sport. And the main thing I say for people is maybe if you do one bit and you don't like it, or you think, oh, this is too busy, or the the toilets, were, the line was too long and, and they're just treating me like cattle. <laughs> okay, well, there's other types of race out there that you'll yeah. probably in love just the core element of it instead, or vice versa. Maybe you want to go to that big one, test yourself against the best people, take on this thing that you may be seen in a million different videos of Killian or, or you know Jim Wormsley or something. Um, and it's all there. And so there's, just, there's more opportunities. There's more different things to do every single year. And I think that makes it exciting. Yeah, that's cool. Run 100. So I was, mess, I was talking to uh, our partner for season 13, uh, Go Beyond, up in your neck of the woods, Todd and Renee, who are just really awesome human beings. And they just got the go-ahead permitting-wise for their first 200 as race directors. But I just started cracking jokes, man, because I'm like, okay, we got – 50s we got 50ks we got 100ks we got 100 milers 200s are kind of coming on the thing you got the moab 240 some other like weird distances are we just going to go to 300s and every rd is going to have 300s and then 400s and like it's just you know like do we just keep growing in the mileage or are we going to have like a handful of just kind of classic distances or classic races like your western states and your bad water and you know you know all of them um what do you think? Is this going to keep going up? Because it seems like humans kind of do that, you know? I think the biggest difficulty is that if you have an event that has more time, then it's a lot more logistically, which means a higher entry fee and a lot more time off work. So 200s, you know, you're looking at a week off work when with all the travel either end and preparation and stuff. That's a lot for people. And it's also a lot for your crew. And so it seems like people generally get crew or friends and family who are also going to do 200s and, you know, they, they reciprocate and they crew for that person who helped them. And that's probably about the only way you can convince someone to spend about six days just being your slave, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but, can uh, you go be my bitch sure. in the desert for, for a week? <laughs> but I'm not sure I'll go above 200s because of that time limit. So they'll always be running across America. There'll be bigger things that individuals can do. And maybe one-off races here and there. But I can't see that you would have, for example, um, an annual race across America for 100 people. It's just n who, how many people can, at the same time, yeah. coordinate to take, say, a month or, well, two months off minimum uh, for it to be a race. Because the record's, what, 45 days or something like that? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> even so that's the best ever. So if you have a race, you've got to allow for a cutoff that's a lot slower than that. You'd also have to allow for people being at totally different parts of the country and all these million things. So I, I think the logistics, the costs and the time just get too big. I'd argue that's already too big for most people for a 200 miler. Th those things are expensive. Oh, so yeah. even that will be a niche. But if you have several thousand people a year doing hundreds, then there'll be a portion of that who want 200s. And there'll be a portion of the 200s who want to do something even longer. But I think the point where it can still be kind of like a, a major race 
uh, just get the longer it is, the harder that is. Yeah. Now that's a good point. Like the 200 being right around that week. That's, I, I didn't really think about the timing of it all. It's kind of interesting. I mean, when people say to me, it's like, oh, how do you go to all these different races? I, I say, basically, it's my job, for one thing. Yeah. Um, but even when I was working in, in a normal office job, I was using all my vacation for it. Or I was doing, oh, it's a weekend, so I fly Saturday, come back Sunday evening, that kind of thing. But if you're taking a week plus, uh, or you're traveling to another country and it's a month-long race, there's a limited number of people who do that. It, it gets kind of more to the hippie living in a van or the uh taking a sabbatical or professional runner and that that's a pretty small uh selection of ultra runners who fit into those three no that's a good point do you think i'm sure there's data out there for this but for hundreds there, there's a certain personality that'll go back and do the same hundred of, over and over um i don't have that personality i just want to see different stuff and experience different places but do you think most people like one and done with hundreds and they just want to experience as many of them as they can? Or do you think people like to go back to the same ones? Like, I'm, like I said, I'm sure the data is there, but what's your thought? I, I, I think you can be both. Same person can be both. Like I love doing new ones, but I went back to Leadville and Rocky Raccoon and Western States many times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 10 times at Western States. I'm going to go back to Comrades this year for my eighth time. Um, so it, it's really it depends on what you want to achieve. Um, it's always good to experience new things, but something like Western States is is the biggest, most competitive race you can do in in ultra running in the US. So I kept going back because, um, firstly, I had a guaranteed entry from from the previous year being top ten, but just because it, it was the place to try and do better. And so I think that my mentality, certainly for going back to the same one, is can I get that perfect race? Can I improve? And if you have the same race, then it's more the same comparison. And also there's only so many where they are particularly competitive. So if you do lots of different ones, some of them just aren't as competitive. So if that side of it's important to you, then then that's one reason. But also the whole point of this is adventure and trying new things. And so even if I did keep going back in June to Western States, I still had new things the rest of the year. So that's why I'm saying I think you can do both. You can have loads of new experiences, go to different places, as well as have your favorites and keep going back to them or your local event that you go back to because it's right next to your doorstep. And so why wouldn't you want to keep doing that every year? No, that's a good point. Uh, are you following uh, Candace Burt's day-to-day? -day I've, I've noticed, yeah. So it's 100 and whatever, 120, 130 days in a row of ultras. Yeah, uh, I've I never just, met her, but I, I don't like, she's on my Twitter, on Twitter feed every day. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, she just, yeah, I don't even follow her on Twitter, but I see it because enough other people like it. So I'm aware of what's going on. So it's, it's one of the things where I'm thinking, how much is that for her and how much is for other people to see? And I'm sure there's the answer is a bit of both, to both. be honest. Yeah. Well, I think anytime, any really big, you know, it's 2023. We, we, we've explored every corner of the earth that we know of, except for like deep sea stuff and space stuff, you know, that's the next um, ultra, the underwater hundred. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm in. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, right now we're just coming up, it is human nature to come up with things that haven't been done or seemingly haven't been done. So I think part of it is that. And part of it is like, dang, she's got the momentum. It's probably hard to stop. You know, it's probably hard to stop yeah. a streak like that when you're so into What's it. the routine. It's like yeah. if your routine is you get up and do six miles every day. If you don't do run a day, it's weird. If you're getting up and doing five or six hours every day, it would be very weird not doing it the next day, unless you're injured, obviously, or ill. So yeah. I, I imagine it's just become kind of her life now. It's got to be good for the brand because she does all the long, she puts on all mm -hmm. the long races. It's got to be, from a business standpoint, it's probably really smart, actually. Um, but kudos, man. And whether she's doing it for attention or for business or just personal, all any, it doesn't really matter. She's putting the work oh, in. Oh, very it's difficult. freaking awesome. Yeah.
you know I, no, I it, it, it is cool to see it's just one of those things where like when i look at the barclay it's you know insanely hard and look at that's really impressive what they're doing but i don't want to do that at all no. <laughs> is yeah. you can have both thoughts in your head of like wow and uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're just getting kind of conflicted about it I remember when I was, remember that book Into Thin Air, John Krakauer about Everest, I'm sure, I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar with it, but I remember reading that back in the early 2000s and it was right before I moved to Colorado and mountaineering and getting into some of the high country was really a passion of mine. And I, I remember reading that book and being like, well, you can check that off the list. Everest is not interesting. Anymore. I don't feel like freezing. I don't feel like losing limbs. I don't feel like that kind of suffering for the sake of suffering. Um, I'll suffer in different ways for the sake of suffering in different ways. But yeah, like I can make a race in my backyard that nobody could finish. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not really interested in doing that, but I, I get the sentiment. Well, I think do a lot of that comes down to, you know, what, why, why do we do ultra runs? Um, and there's a lot of different reasons, obviously. I would argue though, the ones where it's just because it's hard, it's almost just to punish yourself. Like um, there's a race in the UK where it's a one mile section of tunnel pitch black the whole time you're not you're not allowed music and you just shuttle back and forth in this one mile section and i think it was 200 miles not 100 maybe it's 100 one one or 200 either way a long time to just be going back and forth and all you see is the other people's headlamps along the way and maybe the occasional high and that's about it but the idea there is it's just hard and it's sensory deprivation and like you probably have no concept concept of time and other things but to, to me, I, I want to see some scenery. So the Barclay doesn't appeal, but something as hard as the Barclay with amazing views potentially would. Yeah. So it's it's really just working out what are the little things that that you personally want to get out of the sport. And also, this is a vital thing for anyone who's an ultra runner uh, or, uh, well, any other sport is what do you like about it? Try and work that out because otherwise you might accidentally be doing things you don't like. Like yeah. maybe you're just going for marathon PRs because that's what you did at first. And that's what you think runners should do. But you don't actually like road running or marathons anymore. You've moved on, but you haven't actually changed what you're doing. Yeah. And so the same kind of thing, like, are you trying to get into Western States because everyone else is trying to get in or because you actually want to do it? And these are difficult questions. You actually have to really think about them, especially if you spent years headed towards something to then question if you still want to head towards it and maybe discard all that work you put it into this point. But, um, you know, that that's the thing about these different types of race that – there are many different formats out there and I've tried to get better about that myself. And it's something I always really challenge my runners about is, okay, why are you doing that race? What, what is it that's special about that? So when it gets tough and you're asking yourself, why am I here? Why do I want to push? You've got some really good answers because if you don't, and you're just there like, Oh, I wanted to get some points for UTMB, but I hate this race and it's inconvenient and I didn't train for it. Then when it gets tough, it's going to be very difficult to care enough to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Just attaching as much meaning as you can to all these efforts. It's it's such a conversation and these one-on-one calls with people, which made me think, I think I, if I was going to, what was the name of that tunnel one in the darkness? Cause I've seen, I think it might be called the tunnel or something. Yeah. <laughs> I th- it's, it, it, they keep it simple. I think I have a why for that one. You should do it, Ian. You should well, do what it. Is your why? You want to know, you want to be able to relate to sperm better, just back and forth in a dark, <laughs> in a dark tunnel all day long. But what else would you? I, hey, I, hey, if, if you can, if you can keep them going back and forth in the tunnel for all day long, well done to you. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get. I saw an ad for that, like or like a story, like a month ago, because it made its rounds. I was like, why in the God's green earth would you do this? It's just crazy. Yeah, it, it, the thing is, I the race director is a guy I know from the UK, 
and it's totally his thing. He just does insanely hard stuff. I think I don't think he can run anymore because he got some uh, some chronic injuries. But uh, he was just all about doing hard stuff. Not yeah. like is that fun or scenic? Just how hard is it? Like, is this going to be miserable? Yes, sign me up. Yeah. And so it totally makes sense that he's made that race. I've crewed and paced down at uh, Habanero outside of Houston in July in Texas. That's that's in the same category. It's like it's going to be 95 degrees. You're running in sugar sand all day. I don't, yeah, no, thank you. It's kind of well. Well, bad water. That's the appeal of bad water. It's the yeah. hottest place in the world, and you're going from the lowest point to almost the highest point. You don't go up the mountain anymore in the 48 states, um, lower 48 states. Uh, you know that, and the appeal is are you tough enough to do this? And I've seen people there and it's miserable most of the time. The reason I've crewed there and not run it is because it looks miserable. <laughs> like n normally in a hundred mile, like first aid station or 10 miles in or something, everyone's smiling and high-fiving and yeah, this is fun. Even no. at that point, people look wrecked. <laughs> it looks brutal. Yeah, no, I have not gotten the, the, the bad water bug. It does not live in me. I, I left Florida for a reason. Heat was one of them. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're talking about this stuff, like, cause we can be kind of critical on it. Cause we're in this world every day, but we're talking about a small percentage of a small percentage. Cause like 90%, 98% of the population, if you tell them you can go run 50 K or 50 miles alone, they think you're out of your mind. So then you add all the really hard stuff on top of it. And it's just like, well, I always think good context here is there's only a hundred and something thousand finishes per year in the U S for any ultra. So there's 330 million people. So 0.1% would be 330,000. So it's less than point, it's 0.03%. Even, and, and there's, that's not allowing for multiple finishes. So let's say it's even less than that, complete even one ultra in a year. So if you do a 50K, you are by definition elite because you're in the, you know, the 99.99th percentile. Um, and if you do a hundred mile, that's an even smaller proportion of that. The weird thing for guys like you and me is that everyone we know does them. So it <laughs> yeah. seems totally normal. <laughs> so funny. You know what? And then it, just pat ourselves on the back, you know, like there, there are, I don't know how many coaches in this space, but definitely not that many that make, make a living, you know, supporting people that want to do these cool things and, and making a business of it. And, uh, I wouldn't say it was easy by any means. Like it's, it's definitely work. And, uh, but it's pretty cool. Like to be part of such a small freaking industry and, and figuring it out is pretty, pretty sweet. So hopefully the, I think it'll keep growing. I think that that number of the hundred thousand number will, will, will creep up as people try to find more purpose and meaning in, in their, in their physical efforts, but it's pretty sweet, man. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's an antidote in general to the fact that so many people have sedentary jobs and lives. Uh, I mean, the reason I got into it is the idea of adventure and physical activity and doing something hard. And yes, there's many things in life that are hard, but they're not usually this type of suffering. They're more like, oh, I can't afford to pay my bill. And that's not like an enjoyable suffering. That's just shit. Um, <laughs> but this is like a, a, it's something that you can really get meaning from. And I think that will have a growing appeal. The more and more jobs, as it keeps happening, become service sector, uh, more sedentary office jobs, things like that. Yeah, me and my wife, I mean, she does the same thing. Essentially, she works with women athletes in all of these adventure sports. And she puts together all these curriculums and so she coaches them in person, she coaches them online, and then she puts on retreats and become, I put on retreats as well. And one thing that we talk about all the time uh, is like, we're not going to go out of business. People are, 
the more technology gets infused into our day to day, the more we're going to be craving the the natural beauty and, and the physicality of the things that we're helping people do. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to go hungry anytime soon. It's, it's I, I don't think everyone's going to go into the metaverse. Let's put it that way. I mean, I, I like my video games. I've got a VR headset, but it's not the same. I mean, it's fun, but it's not instead of it's as well as. And I think maybe not for most people because most people if they are already sedentary they're not getting that enjoyment out of movement because it's just too hard for them if they're really out of shape but if they just get over that initial hump then you can really appreciate how much being outside is uh, helping your mental and physical well-being i mean even just the simple advice for anyone who maybe doesn't do that much exercise at the moment just go out and do five minute walks in nature daily like literally go outside your house it's snowing at the moment yeah it's cold but if i wrap up it's still really good for me mentally just to go out there and just have the stimulus and the uh, the a benefit of the fresh air and, and this kind of thing. And this isn't just you know me thinking this. This is very much studies have shown this yeah. to be 100% the case. Yeah, I, I mean, exercise is medicine. Nature is medicine. Like the the data and the science is there. Like it's not even debatable anymore at this point, which is which is good. And, and even us. in tiny doses, that's the thing. It's not like you have to go out there and run a hundred miles or nothing. It's you can go out there and go for some walks every day. That that's way better than nothing. Just that initial bit is worth so much. Um, how are you doing physically these days? Pretty good actually. I'm, I'm aiming for a marathon PR in just over a week. So oh, right. my last one was 2009, um, excluding downhill courses where they're kind of cheating. But um, yeah, I'm trying to trying to go to Oakland Marathon and, and run my quickest ever and then uh, go to Comrades in South Africa, double marathon in June and run my quickest ever there. So uh, I, I feel like the, in my 40s now, the recovery and the injury side of things is just a little bit harder. But the speed for this kind of thing hasn't gone. Speed for sprinting is worse. That yeah. That is just a physiological fact but for endurance it lasts a long time you see olympians in their 40s uh there was a, a australian woman who recently got the australian record for the marathon and she's always she was almost 46 wow. um so you know the, this is a sport that you can keep being your best at for much longer than other sports what's your pr for for marathon uh 232 on, on a normal course so i, I want to go under 230 if i can 232 at what late 20s 29 yeah oh this would be awesome dude i'm rooting for you That's yeah I, I hope so it'll, it'll be nice to to still have improvement and also to be honest as a coach it's showing i know what i'm doing if i can keep getting better i, I was one minute away from getting it last year i ran exactly 60 seconds off um oh. but it was a solo course and a windy day and a rainy day so yeah. i'm hoping this year i uh, i can get a better course and a bit more lag yeah, the the last time I saw you in person was in 2019, which feels like five minutes ago. It really does. Like it's been a crazy <laughs> quick four years. Is we were both quick, quick and slow because it is this. We had a pandemic in the middle. Yeah, just so as, it, it's also yesterday and a million years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we had. There's just some funny stories from that trip. But um, I was gonna bring up our uh, mutual friend Mike Wardian, who was out there at the, at the time, and we were just kind of BSing and having a good time, goofing off. But he did his first Spartan race out there, and I saw he posted on his Instagram yesterday. He was doing a bunch of pull-ups, and uh, I was like, "There we go," because because I remember back then he was having a really hard time with like the grip strength stuff. Have you talked to him about that at all? Or have you gotten into that world any more than that than that weekend? Or was that just like kind of a one and done? I, I did the following year, I did like a Spartan trail thing where I did a, I think I did the obstacle course one day and I did the 10K Spartan race the next day um, when they were trying to get things to really kick off. And so that was 
Uh, actually, no, maybe it's a couple of months after that. That was still 2019. And I haven't really done much Spartan stuff because there's nothing near me, for one thing. Um, and I enjoyed it. But it's more just it kind of kickstarted me to a little bit more strength work. So during the pandemic, I've got a proper home gym in my uh, my garage now. So uh, I've, I do that regularly. I feel stronger and fitter than I ever had. I don't think it's helping my running. It's more just for general well-being. Um, and I put on a little bit of weight from that, uh, you know, extra kind of five pounds or so. But um, it's mainly just to, to be a little bit more full body fit rather than just running fit and, and hopefully lower the chance of getting injured as well. But no, I, I do enjoy it. And I think those Spartan races are really fun. But if they had one in Bend uh, here in Oregon, I would I would do it, definitely. But I can't be bothered to travel for that. Uh, I have a kind of rule that unless the race is either important enough or long enough, I don't really travel. So I don't travel for a 5K. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I will travel for a half marathon if it is a very short distance. I'll travel anywhere for a marathon or more if it's if it's a good race. But cool. But for stuff that is more just like a bit of training or shorter stuff, it has to be on my doorstep. Yeah. You just kind of put that in just the rules you have to put into your, into well, your I, I think my wife will get annoyed. She gets annoyed at the amount of travel, I, of travel. I already do. If I went away and did a 5k, it's like, you don't even do 5k. It's like, yeah, but I must do this 5k in Florida. <laughs> like, you're not going to Florida for that. Yeah. And she's <laughs> like, uh, is there like a really good beer down there? I don't know about, or what's going on? You're, you're flying across country for 5k. Yeah. I, that would be out of character for me to fly for a really short race. Yeah. All right, so I got some quick hitter questions, and then uh, I wanted you to talk about this documentary that you're going to be working on uh, this summer, I think, right? Mm -hmm. All right, quick hitter questions. In fueling slash diet world uh, in, in for runners, what is at least one misconception or maybe like one fad diet, something that really drives you crazy that you wish people would stop paying attention to? I think it's the, the idea of a fad diet, the yeah. idea that there is one perfect diet, there is not. Everyone is different. And just because it worked for one influencer and they look ripped does not mean that it was even the diet that did it for them. It might just been the fact that they were being stricter with their food, not the exact food. But yeah, just the idea of it being any fad. Um, it, it's much simpler than that, which is just eat generally healthily, don't have too much processed stuff. And that will work for almost anyone within you know tiny amounts of adjustment. Yep. I, I think I say verbatim what you just said over and over. <laughs> like for fueling for athletes, if there was a perfect formula, we'd just give every athlete the same formula. It's, it's just, there's more art. There's art and science and to it for sure. To expand that a little bit. Um, uh, if you look at Olympians, like Olympic marathoners, if there were one diet, like if the vegan diet or the keto diet were the perfect diet for an athlete, they would all have to do it. Otherwise they could not be Olympians. You couldn't be at the top, top percentile level of the world without it. And yet they all, you know, there's maybe the occasional vegan. I don't think there's any keto athletes who are Olympians for, for running, but um, on top of that, you know, they, they all eat their carbs in races. They do what you would expect because that's what the science says that you, you need to have a balanced diet and you need carbs to run uh, fast. Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, all right. Are there any races, especially in the ultra world, that don't get enough credit that that you'd like to get a little shout out to? Because there's always like these little, you know, there could be the little mom and pop ones or in places that people don't know. Is there something that needs attention out there? Uh, I say comrades, because it's just not a big thing for Americans. Um, but it is the biggest ultra in the world. So it's 20,000 people. Um, it is incredibly competitive. Uh, with you know lots of very fast marathon runners there, very deep fields. You know, it's going to be seconds between the positions going like 100 deep. Um, and it's a double marathon on rolling roads. It changes direction each year to have a, a net uphill or a net downhill. But it's just about my favorite race. And I haven't done it since 2016, but that's why I'm making this year my, it my focus. But it's not like it's 
under the radar as a concept, but I'm guessing most people in America haven't even heard of it because it's not a trail race and it's not in Europe or the US. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, not post-race the same day because nobody can eat or drink anything they want that day, but the day after a race for you, what is your go-to meal or beer or both or whatever? I'm just kind of curious on that one. I, I like a bacon cheeseburger. So there's <laughs> one place in town that is my favorite one. And it's just the best quality uh, with with some beer. So yeah, that's definitely my my favorite. And the thing I'll, I'll literally look forward to that when I'm near the end of the race. I'm like, okay, keep pushing so you can justify a really nice meal tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then one more on the quick hitters. Aging athletes, you mentioned recovery a, a little bit earlier. What what are one or two things that, that athletes need to do as they're getting up in years? Not because we're going to stop doing this stuff because I'm never going to stop. I don't think you're ever going to stop. I don't, I don't think most of our peers are planning on ever stopping. So with that knowledge, um, how do we deal with like the little niggles that we all deal with? How, what are some things that have worked for you? How, how do we kind of prop up some of the athletes that are getting older? I would, I would put it at a kind of high level category here, which is just the concept of body awareness. So this is something where even when I'm talking to younger athletes, I'm really trying to get them to dial in judgment of effort day by day. Um, any signals that they're getting from their body that they're a bit tighter, that something's a bit achy, that they're not recovering as quickly as they expected. Maybe that means they overdid it in the last workout. But I would say that's the thing that kind of is, is overarching for every element of recovery. And it just gets more and more important the older you get because those signals are going to be a bit louder and they're going to have bigger consequences. You might get away with something at 25 that at 45 will be an issue and at 55 will be debilitating. So just that that listening to the signals your body is giving you. And it sounds like this kind of hippie concept of, oh, yes, be one with your body or, you know, get Zen like in your runs. But really what we're saying is just be aware of what is going on in your body. And that is a, a really high level and vital thing for being a good runner, because even in the middle of a race, you have to be able to determine, OK, is this sustainable? Am I pushing a bit too hard? Do I need to eat? Am I overheating? These are all things that your body has sensors for, but you just need to be good at reading them. Uh, and there, there is no metric. There is no uh, tech that will tell you all of this. It might tell you one part of a puzzle. But it also might be ignoring another part. It might say it's okay when there's another thing that isn't okay. So yeah, general improving your body awareness. And this isn't just for race day. This isn't just when you're exercising. This is 24-7 mentality. Okay, actually, I had one more question. This is a good one. <laughs> okay. okay. So, okay. Famous people, we'll say famous athletes that aren't ultra runners, famous people like actors, politics, whatever. Name one that you would love to go see train for and run a hundred, whether you want to see them suffer because of their personality or because you want to see if they had it because they've like played athletic roles or they've done things in other sports that are interesting. Do you, can you come up with something? I'm sure probably the most popular answer, but Elliot Kipchoge. I, and he said he he's thinking about a road uh, ultra. So I, I think he's kind of hinted at maybe like the road hundred K world championships, but I'd love to see him do mountain running. Yeah. Because he's clearly got the physicality, the engine. I'm sure he's got the dedication to put in the work that's needed for the skill. But it would be awesome to see him do like UTMB, Western States, that kind of thing. Yeah, like what happens after 25, 26 for him? Like how does his body, because yeah. he's so freaking smooth, man. He doesn't even look like he's trying half the time. It's so cool. No, that's a great answer. Yeah. All right, last one before we hop off here. You mentioned when we were off air that you're working on a pretty cool little project. So let's hear it. Yeah, so at the moment I'm training up a couple of athletes, well, four athletes and only two of them uh, aiming to do it for a, a university challenge. It's called the University Ultra Run in the UK. And so it's about a thousand mile run uh, and they do it as a male and female 
tag team basically through stages and then they finish off with the last 100 miles running together in one stage but it goes from uh, uh land's end which is the southwest corner of the uk in england to john O'Groats, which is the northeast corner basically of, of scotland um and this is a really well-known fkt route we're, we're not doing the most direct route because that that's i think well, it's shorter than a thousand miles, whatever the number is anyway. And the record's about nine days, I believe. But um, this is going to take three weeks and they're going to have it in set stages. So they finish all at the same place and it's going to be a cumulative time situation. But uh, it's three universities, so Cambridge, Oxford and uh, St. Andrews. And they're raising money for a charity called Mind, which is a mental health charity. So they're aiming to raise 10 million pounds. Uh, they're making a documentary. It'll probably be on Netflix or something similar afterwards. They're gonna, they've got uh, a lot of celebrities from these charities that are going to be involved in it. Um, they're going to have, I think it's Mo Farah and um, Paula Radcliffe will come out for one day and be with the athletes and you know, just really cool stuff like that. So this, this should be an amazing documentary when it finally comes out. It'll be a three-part documentary. Um, and it's, it's a race and it's th these three universities against each other. So I'm helping the Cambridge team. Um, and the re reason it's a bit longer is because it's going to go through all three uh, of the university towns. So it'll go through Oxford, then Cambridge, then up through St. Andrews in Scotland. Uh, and that adds a little bit to the route. But uh, little bits of trail, especially in Scotland, but mainly road running. And uh, yeah, they've got six months or so to build up to it. And it's going to happen uh, in the middle of July, uh, finishing in August. Uh, and I'm going to be out there for that as well as, as helping my team. Oh, that's cool. Does, does the project have a name? Yeah, it's called the University Ultra Run. The University of Ultron? Oh, cool. Yeah. Dude, I cannot hear Mo Farah's name without seeing all the memes from whatever, 12, 10 to 15 years ago uh, from when he was running in the Olympics and they somebody photoshopped like dinosaurs chasing. There's like 500 memes <laughs> with Mo Farah. It's just amazing. Um, Ian, awesome, dude. Awesome catching up. Uh, always goes as smooth as I as I hope. We, we always have so much to talk about. So thanks so much for coming on and, and appreciate the time. It's a pleasure. Cheers.